Okay, so I want to make sure that I get the messaging right on this because you have to understand, we are super untethered. This thing that we've done with you, for you, next to you, this pirate ship thing is a little weird because there's a lot of business stuff going on around us and I'm not an entrepreneur in any way and there are things that I have to make time for that are that isn't just us putzing around on the radio, uh, laughing and stuff, because I've got a, a lot of responsibilities here and it's a startup business we're starting. And for example, today we wanted to bring you an interview with John Skipper that we thought would be really good content for the day that you guys wouldn't have even missed the show, but because of an assortment of things and scheduling and because we're spinning a lot of plates around here, we're going to have to bring you that as a series very soon, telling you what this business is, why it is you're with us on the pirate ship, everything else. Before we get to that, though, there are any number of things that have to be handled daily and we can't put out what you know as the radio show or the normal output of podcast stuff every single day during this phase because I'm talking to sponsors and we're negotiating and there's a whole bunch of stuff that we want to tell you about transparently doing this with you, but it's like unbelievably moving fast around here right now. And so I know that you might be disappointed that today you're not getting the traditional radio show. I wish we could give you the traditional radio show every day because we love doing the traditional radio show. But we needed to take today off. Today was not a day that we could work because we have to handle a whole bunch of things so that on Thursday we can come back and tell you where we are and keep putting out this content. People have taken notice, okay? They've taken notice that the show sounds fresher. They've taken notice that we're doing something creative and fun. They've taken notice that the audience has jumped off of this cliff with us. So today we're not giving you the traditional radio show, but we did do a South Beach session with Neil Brennan, and he's become a friend of the show. And I remember years ago, as you see our growth during this period, Mike Ryan has been a bit of a talent curator around here. Mike Ryan took me a long time ago. Miami Improv. There must have been 30 people there. It must have been the beginning of Neil Brennan's comedy career. Mike, he couldn't have been. I mean, he'd already written at that point. But in terms of stand-up comedy, which is the hardest thing. The hardest thing is stand-up comedy. It's not writing funny. It's not. There is nothing harder than stand-up comedy. How deep was he in his career when you took me and you told me, Dan, you need to see this guy? Oh, he's very deep. But he was early in his career as touring as one of the uh, the fathers of Chappelle show. He and Dave Chappelle brought that creative seminal moment in television to the masses and Neil Brennan was a behind the scenes guy as a producer I, I really enjoyed this amazing resume that he had that wasn't really well known to the masses and he started becoming a big deal on the stand-up circuit he'd always been a stand-up guy no pun intended but I wanted to make sure you saw Neil Brennan because many people didn't really understand the brilliance that was his brilliance because it was all about Dave Chappelle. Well, you, so. you can see it. Of course, he was the right-hand man to the king, though. They were working on if I've... I, I promise you this isn't a Mike Dan dynamic thing that I'm doing with Neil Brennan. I have gone back and looked at the original Chappelle show and been awed, simply awed, that they threw a dynamite stick at the audience from the very start. And of course, that thing flamed out on Comedy Central in all the amazing ways it did with Chappelle just leaving the premises entirely. 
But what it is that Neil Brennan has done with his career since has been knighted by the greatest of the comedians. He has been on Jerry Seinfeld's show a couple of times because Seinfeld absolutely appreciates the vulnerability, the neurosis, the the craftsmanship, and what it is that Neil Brennan brings to comedy on his three-mic special and all-over comedy doing stand-up. There's this term in stand-up comedy, comedian's comedian. Neil Brennan respects the game, and the game respects him back. He has the respect of every single room in stand-up comedy that he walks into. He has credentials. He has bona fides. Those in our audience are familiar with his appearances on our show and are looking forward to this. But this long, drawn-out intro to this Neil Brennan interview is to explain to our audience, we know you love the daily dose of content. We apologize. We can't maintain that output. I think we're going to stay married for a little bit to that Monday, Tuesday, Thursday workflow for you. But when there isn't a show on a day like Wednesday or Friday, we're going to spotlight our side projects, and I promise you, we're going to tend to those much better than we did at ESPN. Give them the care they need. I know. I saw the feedback. I listened to Stupidity myself. We're going to get that sounding better. We're going to get Mystery Crate more of a mystery. Kazoon type there, Chris Whittingham, who's helping us with welcome, this very podcast. Welcome, uh, Whittingham. Welcome. Uh, that's a $2 fine. We might as well announce your arrival that way. For those of you who don't know uh, what's going on around the pirate ship, is our best and most trusted soldiers, people that we have known since they're 13 and 14 years old, have rushed to our side to rescue us during this pirate phase. So that's your big announcement, Whittingham. It's all you're getting. You're at the bottom rung of the pirate ship. You've gotten too much already, Whittingham. People have heard your laugh and they've recognized your laugh. Now get back to the shadows so that we can produce the show. Stop walking in here and handing me notes when we're on the air. Stop handing me coffee and interrupting stuff when we're doing it. Welcome aboard, Whittingham. Get back to to work sorry for coughing jesus christ it's also problematic during a pandemic just tighten that shit up there chris whittingham also he was an intern with us when he was in college so chris whittingham who is like my right hand guy i trust this guy implicitly it's why he's here because i was tearing apart at the seams and i needed someone that i could trust and he's handling it okay he's presently editing this neil brennan interview so before we go any further on this, what I need you to understand about Neil Brennan, and hopefully Juju can put this on the social media content, he is prouder of what the speech he made during Dave Chappelle's uh, Mark Twain Award, which is a high honor. Chappelle is considered as good as there's ever been doing this. And this guy has had an unusual angle and perspective on a comedy legend in real time while also turning into a great comedian, as Mike said, a comedian's comedian. So that's a yammering introduction so that it's by way of apology to say to you, we know you want the whole radio show today. We'd like to give you the whole radio show. We enjoy doing the radio show that much, but just bear with us. Give us a day. Continue to rate, subscribe, and review, and tell your friends to rate, subscribe, and review. We're in the middle of free agency. A lot of exciting stuff is happening around us. We're going to be back on Thursday and we hope that this gives you a little, a little, a little morsel of fix uh, for the day on a South Beach session. And you're really going to like that John Skipper conversation when we can get it to you because it's going to be a special conversation with a guy who is, uh, you know, he was at the top of sports, the most powerful executive in sports over a decade run. I can't wait to tell you more about that, which will also be released. Maybe, you know, maybe Friday or maybe one of these Wednesdays will release part maybe of that. Maybe never. Who knows? 
but I can already hear you rolling your eyes. And if you're not rolling your eyes, you've already fast forwarded to the part where Neil Brennan starts talking. But I know the general reception too. Hey, no show today is going to be, oh, oh, wait, there's a South Beach session. Double, oh, we're going to elevate everything that we're doing here. So you're actually excited to find out, okay, I won't get the Levitard show proper, but I have this more digestible South Beach session today. So please, Dan, you as well, let's all enjoy Neil Brennan. Okay, but before you get to Neil Brennan, just one more thing <laughs> on the messaging. I know you want to get to Neil on Brennan. Worldofsui.com. No, not worldofsui.com. I just want, in keeping with the messaging you're giving people, two years ago at ESPN, we were going to grow this podcast network. A lot of things changed in the world in those two years. What I want you to know is what South Beach Sessions and Stupidity and Mystery Crate were originally intended to be with the fertilizer of the last two years is what it's going to become now. We were piecing things together in our spare time with bandages and strings, we're now getting the reinforcements and the people involved to make all of these properties better than they have been. And we're proud of what they've been with bandages and strings. But now we're going to get some resources. We're going to get some people involved. We're going to make these things the properties they deserve to be, the properties they should have been two years ago. Believe it or not, our support system for these individual properties is much better now than it was at ESPN. That's not a knock on ESPN. I don't want it to be perceived it's as a It's not a knock on ESPN. It's just that we, uh, it's not a knock on ESPN, just like we are going to tend to these things with care because we own our own stuff because you guys have allowed us now yes. to own our own stuff. And it's not meant to, to disparage anybody. And it's, hopefully it doesn't almost kill me this time like it did when we launched. Well, it's coming close to killing all of us. Yeah. I am again drinking tequila yeah. straight this from the bottle right now. This is actually my South Beach session okay. right now. Okay, Neil Brennan, next. <laughs> Love talking comedy and just about anything with this guy. He is a craftsman. I love how he sculpts what it is that he does in comedy. So I wanted to ask you a number of questions, Neil, about some things I've been watching on Showtime here. First, you were involved in that Comedy Store special, which I thought was excellent. I was hoping for a big crescendo in Episode 5 that it would keep getting better and better but it would be the only criticism that I have of it because I thought it was very artfully done and I don't think that I should be criticizing it. So tell me what your takeaways were watching that in five episodes. When you say I was involved, I was I got interviewed a few times and um, Binder, Mike Binder, the director, would send me cuts and I would give him feedback while he was making it. So I can't take any very direct credit for it at all. But I will say... My only criticism was it's impossible to capture how important it is and how contributive it's been to American. I said he ended up using it. I said, there's not a building in America that's contributed more to American culture. Somebody wrote on Twitter, they wrote maybe the Apollo. But my counter argument with the Apollo is nobody really developed at the Apollo. Otis Redding didn't find his legs at the Apollo, whereas, you know, Jim Carrey found his legs at the comedy store. Jim Carrey and Sebastian and you know, Richard Pryor and Rock a little bit. I mean, Rock was just a normal paid regular, but there's a lot of people that, that have come out of there that there's no place like it. And people that did their first, like Sebastian did his first spot there and now he does arenas. Burr works there a lot. Louie. I mean, it's just like pretty crazy. Then you see the lineups and it's like I would say, it would be a fundraiser anywhere else. 
What makes it special? Is it because there wasn't word of mouth on any place else? Hey, this is the place to be vulnerable. This is the place to fail. This is the place for other comics to see you. What is it about it? I think the multitude of, of stages, it just makes it like, oh, I'll go up there. It just makes you try. If you're doing three different spots, three different times, it's three different audiences, you'd be a fool not to try something new, to not try to learn from the spot you just did and then walked 80 feet. I felt like they could have explained the layout better because you know there's three rooms, but you don't realize like, oh, that one's there, that one's there. Like just a, like truly a blueprint, but these are all knickknack things like it's not actual problems but you're talking about sort of the ability to factory produce comedy by fast forwarding the learning curve because you're just pinballing Correct. bouncing between experiments and places and there's nothing like that no there's no i mean the cellar now in new york is more like that in that they have the cellar they have the another club called the fat black pussycat and another and a place called the village Village Underground. So they have three, they have three rooms now themselves and you can do seven spots a night and it's outstanding. It's just an amazing way to do it. Now there's less of a, well, I guess there's some people starting at the cellar, but not very many. You could say that Dave and Rock and guys like that do develop a lot of their, and Louie especially develop a lot of their act at the cellar. But I was about the store because it's the seventies, Letterman and Leno are a big one that that don't get enough. You know, he could have covered, I think, the the feud a little more with Letterman and Leno. In terms of, they're so complementary of one another. And that's the, okay, that's the thing I would have, again, these are just things I would have tried if I were, is covering the feuds that take place in comedy. Letterman and Leno being the best example of two guys that really, really respect each other. And the and Jimmy Walker, weirdly, is a good example where Jimmy Walker had there's a photo of Jimmy Walker and he's got Letterman, Leno and Byron <laughs> Allen writing for him. It's crazy. And the thing that I wanted Binder to do is freeze it and point out their net worth, because now <laughs> right. Letterman and Leno are worth 500 million each and Byron's worth a billion some. And they were writing. They were writing. writing for they're writing. They're on for kid T-shirts at a guy's house in his living room smelling his soup. <laughs> so what the thing that comedy does is it allows you, and wa Jimmy Walker talked about it, like I can help these guys. Letterman was great in that he would have Jimmy Walker on once a year on a show. And you would kind of go, why is he on? Why is Tom Dreesen on Letterman? Because they started together. And because it was kind of like disloyalty. So Letterman used to have Leno on, out of a sense of loyalty. And I think Leno, from what I understand, wasn't playing that game. Well, the thing I found interesting, I mean, you've read the book, right? I don't even remember yeah. the name of it, but yeah. just the details. I'm dying up here, the name of the book. The late night details in the book of Jay Leno hiding in a closet when executives are sort oh, of deciding. Oh, the late night. Oh, yeah, the, the, uh, the Bill Carter book. But no, there's also uh, in the book about the comedy store, there's a portion where... Leno used to record everybody's Tonight Shows when they did it. So there's a quote where Letterman go, hey, you want to go watch uh, so-and-so bomb? <laughs> Which again, I'm not saying like Leno's a dick. I'm saying like, that's also a part of comedy. Neil, you know? I remember I remember seeing Leno when he was young and being amazed at how great he was. I didn't know anything about the sculpting of comedy or anything about anything really. Just sort of amazed by 
how great he was, and then watching The Tonight Show late in life and being just puzzled by an absence of hunger that would allow him to be judged by the comedic community for not doing enough with what that platform was. And I'm not qualified to file that criticism on a legendary comedian, but I could see why other comedians might be disappointed that he didn't keep sort of grinding after, you know, getting to the riches. Because I don't know if they used it. I saw a cut where I interviewed Lena for the documentary. And I think they might have used, because I asked Jay that question. I was like, what did you, what was the decision? Because he's so good. He was so funny. The clip they show in the in the documentary, that thing about like a guy bringing a woman over. And he's like, yeah, I hit her with a gun butt a few times. And like, just like guys are violent. And they did, they, I banged her 40 times and all that stuff. Like, it's a really funny joke. And um, I just think that was the decision he made. And I think you can't argue with the results. I mean, he was beating Letterman by a million people a night at one point, if not two. So whereas Letterman was the, what's funny, this is a side note, but I interviewed Letterman for like a thing that's on on YouTube. It's called a Remember Comedy, where I just, it was like a check-in with everybody. And I interviewed Letterman and he had, he was a Three Mics fan. He was a fan of mine, and, and which was amazing. By the way, Leno watches every stand-up special that comes out. Leno had notes, not not even notes. He was like, you know, I'm surprised you do a podcast because you seem like a guy who, you know, chooses every word and all this. And like very meticulous head watched. I've got hour and a half on Comedy Central, hour and a half on Netflix. He'd seen all of it. And, And I'm not the only one. Like he'd seen everybody's everything, right? So Letterman's like, you know, I don't know. He goes, I look at you and Mulaney and Chappelle you guys are doing so much more with stand-up than we were able to do or that we than we even thought to do. And it's kind of like, yeah, but Letterman, but you, but you happen to introduce irony to an entire country. <laughs> but what like, a great compliment though, Neil, like you, you guys have oh, evolved, no, 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 the, you guys no, have evolved course, no, the form. You guys have, you guys have taken all of the sculpting that those guys did, all of the learning, all of the OCD, all of that yeah. stuff. And of that's course. why that, but that's why Seinfeld has you on, you know, comedians yeah. and cars a couple yeah. of times because he absolutely appreciates the craftsmanship and the work of what it is that you've done to perfect the things they do. That's not lost on me. Like I don't. I mean, I thank Letterman and I, and it was like, uh, you know, it's one of them things. Like, boy, that's significant. But it's yeah. I, I also know like you got to crawl before you can walk. That you know, Pryor was leaps and bounds better than those guys. But those guys, there was no it was all off the beaten path. There was no beaten path. There was a beaten path, get on the Tonight Show and go from there. And there were a few guys that kind of did it. Carlin and Pryor did it and were creatively unsatisfied and were were like, well, let me try it this other, let me try it my way. And Pryor especially made it more personal. But Letterman just moved from Indiana. I don't think he's going to come out and be a not like he's not a trailblazer because he was a trailblazer tonally but he wasn't he didn't do anything especially personal that was just not i i think he there he didn't even know that that could be a goal he was always hidden i felt like he was only letting you so close there was sort of a frosty ice on letterman you know what's funny is uh i interviewed him on the youtube thing and then we spoke on the phone a couple times like just you know personally and he I, I thought we would get personal and he like, he was very like, nah, 
Like you just, just like down. I don't want, Look, you go like I don't want to talk about that. And I was like, oh, I thought you liked that in me, and that would be the nature of our relationship. But he was like, nah, not that I intimate, mean, not that interested in the intimacy the way that you crave it. No thanks. Kid. Yeah, exactly. No, for real. Like I don't, I don't want to talk about trivia. I don't want to talk about sports or or you know whatever. But he, that's like, oh, I'm not talking about the thing he mentioned on the Netflix thing was like a mistake. And so it was like, okay, fine. We won't talk. We won't be personal. But I don't think like he's a, I just think that's his, it's from Indiana. It's like generationally 70 or almost. And he was born in 1940 something. Like, you know, it's just a different time. He's a man before time. One of the things that I love about the way that you can learn and evolve the craft is, and I do believe that at this point, Chappelle is uh, better than Richard Pryor, even though Richard Pryor was first, that Dave yeah. Chappelle has an appreciation for saying flatly, look, Pryor fucked every orifice of comedy before we got there. So he did it first and he did it better than all of us, but he knows that. And now he can respect that and add to it in a way that respects the craft. And I've marveled when you talk about the Letterman and Leno thing, and I wonder what you think about this, where it's clear that Kevin Hart, who you're friends with, has the popularity and the mainstream success and the Leno stuff, but he envies sort of the street credibility that the, the street comedy credibility that Dave Chappelle has because he's more Letterman in that dynamic, that Kevin Hart gets to be Leno and mainstream popular, but Chappelle is the guy that gets the praise of the comedians who also respect the craftsmanship. Well, that's the thing that when people talk about how funny David, I mean, what's funny to me is when not what you just did, but they're like, there are people that'll be like, Hey, you know, that Chappelle's a genius. And I'll be like, tell me more. <laughs> tell me more about that guy that I was fucking cellmates with for, for 15 years. <laughs> Tell me more about the guy that I talked to on the phone every day for hours for 15 years and we're trapped in a room and had to enter sketch writing contest every day. The marvel of Chappelle is um, the way his writing evolved. That's the thing people don't understand. So he went, so in, so Dave did a joke. Dave goes, I did a joke. He goes, I used to do a joke where when Alf was on, remember Alf? Mm -hmm. He said, if Alf came to my neighborhood two weeks later, you would see brothers wearing alf skin coats okay <laughs> um he did that joke in high school right <laughs> you're like huh yeah he grew up a little faster than the rest of us like that's a that's an extraordinarily good joke and so that's where he was that's what he was starting from right and so he was able to start there and then he does, you know, his HBO half hour is killing him softly. He does Chappelle show and he does for what it's worth on Showtime. And even what's happening is the way he wrote jokes became like, it just became like, is this a seance? Like, I don't even know what is happening. You don't even know if they're jokes anymore. And the funny thing was like on the uh, YouTube thing he did, they kind of weren't. <laughs> Like there was no, like, no, it was just storytelling yeah. and philosopher. It was a weird, yeah. it was, it was a weird genre where he's just on a microphone and we want to hear him talk. And the other thing, there's not a hiccup or pause in it. It's not, right. you don't hear an um or a thought. Like it's clearly something that's crafted. He's not quite that clean, but as a storyteller, he kind of is. So he had a screening of his last uh, Netflix, the sticks and stones, right? 
So he has a screening in like a at a place in LA, like a it's like a social club slash screening room. And people I remember being there, me, Sarah Silverman, Kanye, Kim, and Ezra Edelman. <laughs> and um and and but there I mean there's probably 30 other people, but those are the ones that are so Kanye fell asleep because it was Sunday and it was just, he had done Sunday service that morning. Because uh, he had a Kanye joke. And when it when the lights came up, I go, Dave, would you like to apologize to Kanye? And uh, and Kanye was like, huh? He was he'd been asleep. Um, so I'm talking to Ezra afterward. And I was like, I go, Dave's one of the best public speakers who's ever lived. I was like, it's not even... He's definitely the, one of the best recorded speakers. I was like, but you think, well, who would have been better than that? Because if you listen to Will Rogers or something, it's not that smooth. And I was like, I go, it's Dave. In terms of living speakers, it's Dave and Farrakhan, right? In terms of pure talent. Being able speakers. to keep your attention with clean yeah. communication that you marvel at. Yes. And fluid yeah that's the thing it's the music of both of their speaking forget the anti-semitism uh but you know so dave comes over and i say some of the effect of uh and ezra goes dave who do you think the best living speakers are and dave goes well farrakhan and ezra goes did you guys plan this and i was like no <laughs> farrakhan's one of the best public speakers ever like he just he's what it is like there's so Farrakhan, obviously, I don't know who it's Farrakhan and Malcolm X, obviously, like are drinking from the same trough, speaking wise, Malcolm X, one of the best ever, you know, if you listen to it. So now Dave is to the point where because of the experience with the show, the leaving the show and and then, you know, whatever it be, he became he made himself into like a Paul Bunyan character and was 10 years in the in the wilderness comes back. So the, one of the marvels is, I, I say you only get so much time in the spotlight, right? Meaning people only crave you for so long because there's guys that were, you know, I, don't, I won't get into specifics, but there's guys who didn't go away and are less in demand. Dave goes away and almost doubles the demand by the time he comes back. If he doesn't go away, he's a famous comic from 05 to... 2013 14 probably does some shitty movies probably does, like just it, he burnt he would have burnt people out now he made it so he doesn't burn people out and he becomes partially a philosopher and partially like a anti-colonialist and he just adds all this stuff to his his oeuvre and and he just he get he made himself like he could live another 40 years he's good People are never going to burn themselves. People are. People might like it. Might dissipate a little lower from now because he's like a living legend. But it's uh, it's it's just a funny thing where he played it. Per it's like leave the Comedy Central and leaving and all that chaos and even the stuff would take it down from that. It's all it's all good for the brand. I don't even think he realizes it. I just it just is. Did you marvel at the brand sort of making both Netflix and HBO Max? cave on selling or showing Chappelle's show because he shamed them for 18 minutes in a video that he felt like he did because he was just bored? Uh, guess. <laughs> yeah, it's unbelievable. It's just unbelievable. It's unbelievable that he can, that he has the, um, gravitas. 
it's funny to see, you know, I don't know how old you are, but it's, it's, I told somebody, it's like watching Dave is like, it's like if your roommate becomes the Dalai Lama and you're like, oh, <laughs> I just thought we were roommates. Well, but it's so weird though, Neil, because it must've been so hard to be as great as you are to be as funny. It must've caused insecurity, uh -huh. but you're working. It's like you're working on serenity while being roommates with the Dalai Lama. Well, it's not Well, the, rock one time said, he goes, the thing about you is you're not very jealous. He's talking about me. And I, I don't, I'm not mad at if somebody beats me in a foot race. I mean, if Dave beats me in a foot race, cool. Like I, I'm not going to be mad at that. Like I, like that's fair is fair. Chris beats me in a foot race. Great. Chris, I don't know if I've ever told you this story, but this is like, sometimes you just get beat in comedy. Right. So I wrote a joke that uh, joke was if Biggie and Tupac were still alive, they'd both be playing detectives on Law & Order, right? <laughs> well, that's what you think. You had Chappelle doing that if he hadn't gone to Africa. You have him well, doing no, something. Yeah. Well, no, I mean, I, I, yeah. I know he would have just done shitty, like, you're undercover. Well, it would have just been some <laughs> shitty cop movie. Um, so, and then Rock had a joke in that movie Top 5 that he wrote where he said if Tupac was alive, He'd be playing, he'd be in a Tyler Perry movie playing a dark-skinned brother kicking Jill Scott down the steps. <laughs> That's just funnier than what I said. <laughs> ah, ah, what am I gonna, what am I gonna ah, uh, no, you just go like, yep, good offense, whatever. I it's just I'm not, what can I do? I can work harder. I, there's not much I can do. That's it's like that's his brain composition with Dave. That's just his brain composition. Now, all I can do is play my game. And that's part of the reason I did three mics is because it was like, let me do something just different, right? Then these guys, these, and then you could say that in some ways I may have inspired them to do Chris's last special was way more emo and Dave's special are getting significantly more emo. So like are all like his last, that Netflix or the, the YouTube one was just all anguish. So like there, I could look at it I can look at it like that where I'm like, well, A, I seem to be influencing them and B, I must be pretty good if they, if I, if they ask me to write with them consistently. You were saying about feuds. I didn't let you finish what you were saying about, and I could talk to you uh, for a long time about all of this stuff because we're not even going to get to the Belushi documentary, but mm. you began to talk about feuds and say you wanted a little more of that in the comedy store special. Like what else were you craving? Well, that's the, that's the, there's so much tied up in, in, in it, right? There's so much tied up in a guy, a guy's life dream is to be, a famous comedian, right? I'm just thinking about Letterman and Leno. And then it's Letterman's dream, it's Leno's dream. Letterman really respects Leno and gives him this great opportunity, right? And then it kind of bites him in the ass. I think Letterman still, it's like, I think he would still do it. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's like a justice thing. It's like, dude, you're so funny. I can't, by putting you on my show, it's almost just like I'm like paying, giving the comedy gods their due. It's like karmically the right thing to do. So in terms of feuds, me and Dave, I guess you could call it a feud or uh, like from time to time. But it has to do with he gives me an opportunity, right? There's no other. It's like I said in the in the Mark Twain speech about him, like it's he gave me a career, literally gave me a career. So then it becomes a matter of whether I agree with them about certain things or 
if he, you know, if we're doing a TV show and he quits in the middle of it without telling me, career granted or not, it's going to make me feel uh, uh, not great, right? So therefore, what do I owe him in terms of communicating that, you know? So, you know, it, it becomes this thing of like ongoing, uh, like debt or not, not even debt. It's, I guess it's debt. It's like, now I, now in terms of what I, what I did in terms of behavior, it's like, I gave a quote to Time Magazine, right? But probably I, you could make a case like maybe I shouldn't have, but I was pissed. And by that point, I, you know, it's like, that's the, that's the part of comedy that, a lot of people get shows and then they can op- they can either help you or not, right? And then if they do help you, what do you uh, what do you owe them in terms of like do they just have a do they have carte blanche or do you hold them to a human standard? You know, and that's the stuff that's like I will I don't think I'll ever know. But at the same time, it's you know I will never. It's pretty much carte blanche. I didn't. You know, in the day when at when I did the Mark Twain thing streaming on Netflix, um, uh, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not going to get into like. And then what about you know? It's like no, you're grateful. You're grateful, and human relationships happen, and there are tensions, and a bunch of different things end up happening in relationships that are complicated. I, I don't think it's. I got to say, I don't think it's very different in terms of you have people on all the time, and some of them get their own show, and some of them might get a better time slot than you, and and you just got to go. Ah, uh, I don't know, man. I can I can play this. It seems like you can play, make it into a, a a backstabbing, elbowing game. But I think it's better. Might be better for your spirit not to. I just thought the comedy store was a place, though, where it had you've got all of that dysfunction, and yet it seemed like all those people were trying to help each other, even as they're trying to climb over each other. That the competitiveness, all of that stuff, ends up serving everybody because you grow there, you sink or you swim. Yeah, yeah, and I think you're right. If you you know that if you if you know if you're if you're Leno and you have you're like yeah I'm gonna have him on my show or I'm gonna have him now it's I'm gonna have him on my podcast and if 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 Rogan has you on the podcast. 12 million people or something. It's crazy. It's crazy it's, what that's you know, become. It really is like the Tonight Show in the 70s. It's the new form of it. Do you think, uh, you mentioned Louie a couple of times. Is he going to uh-huh. be able to make his way back? Like, I I thought that he was clever and good enough that he might be one of the few who could survive all of that tempest and make his way back, but it hasn't happened yet. And I don't know how bitter or angry or victim he is on this that might sort of dilute the funny. I know that he did pretty well on the on the self-release special. Uh, Louis so non-linear that whereas you would say, you know, hey, there's this P- follow this PR handbook. And if you did what he did, you could probably figure it out. Right. You could probably do the PR handbook, scrub your image, do public volunteer work get get on showtime one special and then get on that you know work your way back triple a double whatever triple a major he's just incapable and i don't say that i mean that's what makes him an amazing comedian i i did a joke recently where i was like i'm never shocked when i hear the comedian does something crazy i'm like oh hmm but i'm not like what (laughs) right right. like louis asked donald rumsfeld if he was a lizard person on the radio one time like louis so I mean, he did it. You can, it's on YouTube. It was on opening Anthony Rumsfeld called in and Louie kept going like, are you, Hey, I have a question. Are you a lizard person? 
he's out of his mind in, in the best. It's what makes him such a hilarious person. But it's not going to. But the only problem is once you get into uh, scrape the kind of the, the, the likes of which he was in, you're just not going to you're not going to do the, like the prescribed thing to get out of it. He just literally cannot follow a direction. He also doesn't believe it, I think, intrinsically. You have to go and I have to go, but because I promised people your perspective on the Belushi documentary on Showtime, because it comes from a different time in comedy, but Saturday Night Live shaped all of these people in much the same way that the comedy store did. Because you guys, it's a very small world. Neil, I'm always jarred by what a small world you exist in. All of these funny greats together in the same sort of petri dishes so the Belushi yeah. documentary i thought it was artful your thoughts there were what yeah i thought it was great i thought it was great i thought it was artful i thought the recordings and the animations which people some i've heard people say they didn't like but i think the thing that i was most impressed with was honestly lorne a, a guy i know but i was in i would he was the only guy i was like i can't believe i even know that guy I, 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 SNL, because it's before it was started in 75, I became aware of it probably in 81. It just didn't, I, the thing that impressed me the most is there's a part in the, in the doc where they're tight on a photo of Keith Richards and, and Mick Jagger and they're Keith Richards and Mick Jagger both looking up to something kind of reverently and they pull out and it's Lorne and Belushi. And you're like, wow. <laughs> okay. Um, uh, so that that's the kind of thing that like how important everybody tells you SNL was incredibly culturally important, but I'd never seen I never really contextualized it that way. So that more than anything, that was what impressed me. Uh, and the what you know the the thing that always gets me on these things is is like hearing Aykroyd be the personal. Once someone becomes an icon, it's like I was saying earlier. It's like. The Dalai Lama was my roommate. So the the one of the reasons my Mark Twain speech was great was because like I have the um, it, I have the emotional connection. It's like Tiffany Haddish know, has known Dave a little for a, a little bit. Uh, hold on, Mike Sure just texted me. You're talking to Levitard right now. Um, Mike Sure, the great the great Mike Sure. You did Parks uh, and Rec with him, didn't you? Didn't you do a few? I episodes never did it, but we me and Mike used to write together. Uh, but that's a good petri dish. Um, All right, uh, let's let's add him right now. We're just going to add him so that you could talk to each other because we're going to just pull him in here. Oh, he's next. I love it. So yes, it's just a factory hey, line buddy. of <laughs> funny people. <laughs> this is crazy. <laughs> this is wild. You got? I didn't do the mic setup. Sure, I would have if I'd known that we were wearing the mic. I'm I'm an industry professional, so I, I mean, I, leave it to sure to really step it up a little bit. Where are you right now? I'm in my room. In New York uh, or here? Here. All right. Um, Sheebs, I'm crazy about you. <laughs> you mean the world to me. Uh, let's do a handoff, and uh, you can tell Labatard why I call you Sheebs. That'll be a good intro. It is. You creepy. should tell him why you call him Labatard. <laughs> it, is, it is creepy. It is creepy that anywhere anything funny is being said, sure just appears like something out of the good <laughs> yeah, place like from the genie. sky. Uh, but while we're at it here, why don't we just bring in to talk to Neil uh, Brennan as well, a confused Tim Kirkshin. We could bring in a confused Tim Kirkshin into the line here. And Tim now Kirkshin, <laughs> do you have an update on something? Is somebody, somebody's whip just got 
lowered. There you go. That's what happens in I, baseball. Yeah. I, no, you, you got it. I write. don't even like the game. Sure. That's, I keep this stuff, and then I use it in, in, when I'm in a multi. When I'm in a podcast orgy, whatever. You wearing? A, are you wearing a tank top? Yeah, I am because I got nice arms. Because I don't have kids, so I can. These are my babies. Um, sure, he's got kids. He's got a. He's got a boy about to go to college. That's right. That's um, why. I, that's why I wear a hoodie everywhere. Yes, you can see um, my arms. Yeah, I. You, you do the uh, the Belichick. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I once said the Belichick. Not only it looks like he'd never heard of clothes before. Yeah. Um, before he, someone was like, "Put this on." He's like, "How?" And he's like putting sweatshirts <laughs> on his legs. Well, and um, then he's like, "I don't like this." And someone he get, takes a pair of scissors and just starts yeah. cutting it. <laughs> I'm like, well, the game is about to start. All right. And he just runs up. Um, hey, I have to go, but I'm crazy about both of you. All right. Get out of here. What about Kirk? Are you crazy about him? You're I looking at his. You're I don't have time. <laughs> you didn't All put right. the time in. Very good. Him. See you later. God bless. <laughs>